Dotnet Rocks episode 652 with guest Brian Randall. Recorded live Wednesday, March 30th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Mr. Campbell. Howdy, sir. How are you? I'm good. We're here in Florida. It is your Florida. favorite city. Uh, you know what? I actually, it's been city? so Florida's long. City? Florida's a city now? I said your favorite city, comma, Orlando. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. It has been years now since I've been in Orlando. It, and it, I only got to really hate Orlando when we were going here like four times a year. Yeah. But now it's, now it's been a way, you know, I haven't been this sticky in a while. So it's, right. It's not really nice. Haven't to got back. your palm tree fixed. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it's good to be back, and uh, we're back in the JW, which is not a horrible place. The food's been epic. And yeah, it's a good place. It's good fun, and connections is always great. Yeah, I just gave away a cruise. Did you? Yeah, that's all. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah. And then we're going to do closing session after this, which is uh, the sixty-four big question. That's None of this solid. matters to the listeners whatsoever. So let's let's get if right. If you came into. to connections, you'd see this happen. The that's 64 right. Sixty-four big question is fun. Oh, you know, and here's the other thing about conferences. I was talking to somebody last night that. The reason they come to conferences is, the, especially connections, is you get the Microsoft overview on Monday from all the Microsoft people, yeah. and you know the dog and pony show, aren't we great, and everything's awesome, and then you get, quote unquote, the real story. And two for the, days of tearing that delusion down. <laughs> yeah, and we're being facetious, of course, but you know, filling in the details is really what, what, he get, what he's talking about. And then, coming to, you know, to, to just go out to the the hotel bar at night right. and get to talk to people who are doing the sessions to clear up questions or after Scott Guthrie's keynote, just going up and waiting patiently in line to ask him a question. Cause he's here. Yeah. Cause he's here. You can't get that at a code camp. No, you know? I can't get it anywhere else. I think. Yeah. So anyway, there's our little plug for connections. We work with them for a long time. They've been great to us. Yeah. We've, uh, we've helped out them and they, we've learned a ton. Yeah. And, uh, Brian Randall. Howdy ho. Howdy, howdy ho. It's good to be here, guys. Yeah, it's good to have you here. We're, uh, you're like Mr. Hardware Guy. Both of you guys are like <laughs> hardware guys. <laughs> oh, he finally, I did, it's hard to have me really envy a laptop, but dude, that is the most gorgeous laptop I've ever seen. Now tell seen. us what it is. Yeah, so I've got, uh, I'm doing a workshop tomorrow, so I've got two of them with me. They're uh, Lenovo W510s. And, uh, so 16 gigs of RAM, uh, SSD in one drive, and then I have a 500 gig drive in another. Four cores. Four cores. Eight, 1920 eight by 1080. Yep. And it's not a tank. I mean, it's, it's not a skinny, it's not a tiny laptop, but it's still quite thin. It's very clean. Yes. Uh, Lenovo's building nice machines. That's, hmm. It's that's, a beautiful it's, computer. It's really and what nice. are you demoing with it? So the big, well, A, I do all my demos on. It's great, and I can dual boot. And I, um, but for the big thing for tomorrow for Wait my minute, workshop. Wait a minute. You said you do all your demos what? I dual I, boot. Oh, you said something before that. I just didn't. I'm sorry. I'm mumbling because I'm overthinking what I'm doing. So with the hardware, the reason I have the two machines is I'm doing, um, I'm demonstrating how developers can take advantage of virtualization. And one of the ways to do that is, okay, well, what's the basics? So I talk about Hyper-V. And you can do that with one laptop. Hyper-V. Exactly, from Microsoft. But one of the great new features in R2, um, Server 2008, is live migration, where I can take a live running server and move it from one machine to another 
via shared storage and some magic uh, tricks. So I need two machines for that. So I've, wow. I've actually got a portable cluster I've got with me. So I've got the two machines running as servers. I've got a eight port HP switch. I have a four port router. Uh, throw in a uh, little NAS box that has a valid iSCSI target. And uh, I'm still I'm still hung on live <laughs> migration. Is it? You're basically cool? talking about a web a web server that's talking to a database that's on another machine, basically? No, 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 no. no. Are let's, we talking about the same thing? Let's take something complicated, thing? like a Team Foundation server. Okay. Running as a virtual machine on one physical host. So it's a virtual machine on this physical host here. And it's got the SQL server right there. Everything's in embedded, it. yeah, it's all Everything's there. Everything's there. But you can do multiple machines, right? But okay. just make it simple for, make for it brain. Simple. You know, there's just one VM. And you basically do a live migration. What they do is the, the disk is stored on shared storage, which is an iSCSI target. So it's, you're streaming the data from the hard drive over gigabit Ethernet, right? So. Alright, so you memory. have to have that sort of set up. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, to it's begin mandatory with. two machines, although you can do multi-node clusters. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually hop skip around machines in your cluster, which is cool. Yeah. So you have the centralized shared storage, right? I've got this, this little box, obviously just for demos, but it's a, it's a RAID 1 array with two drives. Okay. Um, the one I'm using, they have like an 8 box array you can get, which is right. sweet. So then you've got the, the virtual machine, set up there, and then what happens is you do the live migration, what they do is they do this background process where they're looking at unused pages in memory, and they get them loaded over there, and then they basically they keep copying on until there's no pages left, and then almost magically, it's right on the other host. Hmm. And it's So they slowly spin up the VM on the other machine yep. and get it literally mapped memory for memory on the other, that machine, and then there's a moment where it goes, hop! No, there. Exactly. When you say mapped memory for memory, this is the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. Like, I want to know what you're talking about here. They're like, literally, they're literally, so when you're in a virtual machine, right, you're, you're running inside someone's playground, right? right? Just like CLR types run inside the CLR, right. right? So because it controls everything, it knows all the RAM it's given you. It knows all the virtual addresses that it's mapped to physical. Right. So it can start blocking off stuff that you're not using, right? And so it just starts looking at things that are inactive, and then because they control the schedule and everything else, they can finally get to a point where they're just kind of like, okay, copying out pages, 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 and boom. So literally, it does a, a synchronization of RAM mm -hmm. in real time. Yep. And as soon as that's done, and as soon as it's at a state where they're both exactly equal, what does it do? It switches the IP address over or something? It's or? done through the cluster. It's, it's the machine moves. It's, it's just as far as where it's running. It's, the machine stays the same on the network. That's the key. Right, because you don't want people losing their connectivity. How do you, now, how do you, how do you do the network thing where you've got one IP address here, one IP no, address no, no, there? No, 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 it's one IP address here inside the VM. The VM's moved, man. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's everything. All right. I'm just wondering, thinking from a network perspective, one point you were going through one port, and all of a sudden you're going through the other port. Right. Where, where does that switch it's, happen? Because it's all in the cluster. It's the way the cluster it's, So it's, yeah, it's so managed by the VM. Yeah, no, through the, by the hypervisor. By the hypervisor, cluster. rather. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's a cluster layer provided by Windows Server, and then Hyper-V is cluster aware. Okay. Add that on top of it. So basically, I, need, I, have, I, have, I really need four ports per machine, but I can only, mm. I can only have three. Only. Well, because I'm not doing real production time traffic, but I have yeah. a dedicated port for the iSCSI traffic for all that I.O. bringing the bits right. back and forth. Then I have a dedicated port for the cluster traffic, and then I have a dedicated port for the management. Now, the VMs, because I'm not going to do a bunch of live migrations, I'm going to cheat and let the VMs talk on the subnet, but you can, you basically can do VLAN segmenting, or you can do physical router segmenting um, for okay. traffic. So what, is this the only architecture that this works on where you no, have VMware this? started. VMware started. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Look, sorry. The question is, with the, is this the only architecture that it works on with a separate iSCSI storage connection? Or what if you had 
like I said, what if you had a machine that has everything on it except a SQL server, which is on another machine? Does that really matter? No, the, the key point your, to understand is you're moving a mach, uh, you're moving a virtual machine. Yeah. So whatever's in the virtual machine, you're moving the entire virtual machine. So if this mach, machine A talks to database B, machine C will talk to database B. Sure, that's fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and so cool. and then you know this is VMware has a feature it's called VMotion, so it does the moral equivalent. What if you wanted to move, migrate a SQL Server? Well, TFS has SQL Server. But I mean, a just a SQL Server that's being hit by. Lots of people in real yeah, time. Yeah, and what will happen is that there's a point where you can, you have to do a retry. There can be, you know, microseconds of downtime. Right. I mean, I guess the real question is in the context of a SQL server, if you have, an, you're moving the SQL server and the apps in place, are they going to have to renegotiate all their connections? No. Really? Cause, no, because it's still managed by the cluster. The cluster takes care of the idea. Right. So if but it's it managed takes... by the cluster, that means you're not speaking to the server's IP, you're talking to the cluster IP. You're talking to a cluster IP. Right. So the, mean, the real point with the whole clustering is that both those machines actually have the same IP. They're just following clustering rules as to who gets to respond I'm to I'm thinking the problem there with when you have a SQL server that's being really hammered is... It's not designed for that. It's not... Yeah, I mean, you're... Do you ever get to a point where this where the memory is exactly the same? Because... It's, it's so busy. Constantly yeah, updating. Yeah, it's it's not meant for to take a server that's under load on Black Friday and migrate. Right. It's meant to because that's when you need to migrate. Let's face it. You know, you're no, migrating. You need to migrate because you don't want to take something completely down and you want to do maintenance. All right, but in the real world, you're migrating because oh my god, this machine's about to die because it's getting hammered. No, people. We got to no, move. That's it. not true. That's not why people do it. It's not designed for that. Yeah. So I, I would I would I would say you're wrong there, and that that's not what it's designed for, and they wouldn't support that. Okay. The, the main thing here is you want to take a machine out of the. VM stack, and you won't, don't want to shut those apps down sure. when you do it, so you right. move everything off of that machine so you can take it out. Yeah. yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about, is it? No. What were you about? talking about, Lab Manager? Well, Lab Manager is, is, the, is, is the big thing, right? Is how can developers and testers build better software, mm -hmm. right? Cool. Because one of the problems is, you know, number one, testers often get bad hardware. Number mm. two, they get the hand-me-downs. They get the hand-me-downs. And number two, it's hard, it's, it's hard when you're building these, these, Complicated interior architected, internet ready, cloud based applications, all these things that you want to do because you need to be repeatable, right? You need, so it's like transactions, right? We need all parts of ACID to really have a transaction, mm -hmm. right? And so with virtualization and lab, what we're able to do is I can simulate my production environment, right? I'm not worried about load tests, I'm rather worried about function. Does right. it work the way it's supposed to work? Well, the problem is when I have a complicated interior application, I got a database, I got web servers, I got services, I got all the stuff that's being configured. Mm. So I get it configured, oh, we got to do an update. Well, come on, I gotta format the machines. Well, now if I can build base virtual machines to find a topology that makes sense, create what Microsoft calls an environment, I can then set that up inside, set a baseline snapshot. So this has been updated as of March 15th, has all its patches, but has nothing of our software on it. Right. And then what happens is you can go into TFS and the build configures to say, okay, I wanna create a build. And when this build runs, I wanted to use this environment. And I wanted to deploy our app. And once my app is deployed, I want to snapshot it so it's clean, deployed though. And then I want to run these automated tests and I want to snapshot it after that. Then the tester comes in in the morning, the tester's all, okay, great. I can look at the tests for any regressions for my automated tests. Mm -hmm. Then I can take that environment and say, you know, I want to use it. I want to copy it because I want a couple people to use it. And I can spin up that environment and I can do my tests. And as I do my tests, when I'm using this virtual environment, I've got the whole thing. I can play it and do whatever I want. And then when I find a bug, you can say snapshot. And you snapshot the entire environment, attach a link to the snapshot to the bug, 
Send that to the developer. The developer goes through and looks at it if you're using IntelliTrace. You first of all you look at IntelliTrace logs. You look at the screenshot. You look at the video recording. But then you say, you know what? I want to get into that environment. I want to see what's going on. Click the link. Says, hey, snapshot's being used. You want to take it? Tell the tester you're going to borrow it. Or if it's not used, you just take a hold of it. You connect. You RDP in, and you party on. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik JustCode. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at telerik.com slash justcode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So this is really about getting rid of I can't reproduce the bug. No more mm. no repros. Yeah. And and not because it's actually just because it keeps a copy of exactly the state it was in when the bug occurred. Exactly. It's just it's it's just it really is slick and it's not when you, you get it working. So I mean it sounds like a ton of setup though. There's a wee bit of setup. Yeah. This I mean, is a wee bit. <laughs> obviously, A you have to have and this is all hyper V. Yeah, so in this first release, uh, Microsoft supports for snapshot in this build-to-play workflow, the out-of-the-box experience is only on Hyper-V. So what you need to set up, you need a domain. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't work in pure worker mode. So you have a domain. You need a Team Foundation server. You need a System Center Virtual Machine Manager server. Love that tool. License comes with there. Then you need, obviously, developers with the appropriate versions of Visual Studio. We'll ignore license. The point is, testers are going to want test professional. It gives them the testing tools and the management stuff. Is there test professional? Yeah, there's, so there's Visual Studio Professional, Premium, Ultimate, and there's a new SKU, Visual Studio Test Professional. Ah, right. I just heard the announcement for this. Yeah, so that came out. That was launched. It launched at the same time, but the lab stuff wasn't done, so it really right. wasn't out until August. Hmm. Uh, and so that gives you, with, with that license or with your ultimate license, you get your lab management license. And is the you, test professional version less expensive than ultimate? Oh yeah. It's, okay. uh, 4,000. I suppose. No, these are retail prices. Right? Retail prices. You don't have, if you no, pay, okay, if, if you're paying retail, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's, let's be very clear. And retail on ultimate is 13,000? No, it's a, it's a, it's, Ten thousand nine ninety five or something eleven thousand eleven thousand a mere eleven thousand no but that that's that's retail no one buys it you can't even buy it, by the way you can't even buy it retail you know that if you go to Amazon it's not for sale really and yeah you have to you have to go buy a few copies and get a select agreement or some kind of volume agreement save some money and you, you can get it for you know a couple grand a year kind of mm -hmm. thing on with maintenance so and yeah. that gives you all of this yeah, too you're not just getting ultimate you're getting all the stuff that goes with it yeah and that's the thing they've just released they've done three new updates by the way that are benefits lab is now free they're going to charge for that so if you have ultimate you get it included mm. they included the uh, new project server connector which if you manage large enterprises have who would have that stuff you now get that for free to mm. have the connector between tfs there and now they also this march added the virtual user uh, license for unlimited users for load testing. So in 2010, your ultimate license that comes with load testing only does up to 250 virtual users. Right. And then it was 1500 bucks for another 
another a thousand, I think. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know the. I never pay attention but, to the pricing. But that, it was basically the amount, as much load as you could generate off of one heavyweight machine was one of those user agent licenses. Well, no, they took it down though. It used to be a, it used to be unlimited. Yeah. Now it went down to virtual users, only two fifty. Right. So with a, you know, you could a six core box could go. I laugh at, I laugh at those, those, those two fifty. Yeah, it's not users. even doing anything. So, but now you get unlimited users. So these are things where they've added value on what you've spent your money on. That only is if you have the subscription. So they still continue to put some free stuff out that power tools that anybody, any level gets. But then they said, you know, if you give us the big bucks and really invest it in ultimate, we're going to keep, before we ship a new version, we're going to continue to send you new stuff. How are the management tools in terms of usability, UI, that kind of stuff? For, for what? System center? For I mean, lab management. So lab management has two pieces. The system center side, I mean, it's a 747. I mean, it's got lots of knobs and whistles. It's, it's for primarily IT pros. The benefit of them using it is long-term, as they add new features to System Center, Lab will be able to pick those up. They're, they're really looking at that long-term investment there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like you'll be on top of SQL Server, right? SQL Server adds, you know, on-the-fly encryption in... in I, I don't mean features. I mean usability, like UI No, no, that, that, no that's, you, my point is I'm explaining a, why they picked a 747 when you might have been happy with a Cessna. Is that, in other words, they needed the engine, so unfortunately the interface is a little overwhelming for a it's lot It's a lot. SCVMM is a lot. Yeah, it's... It's, but it's not. It's, it takes I still feel like this is, it's going to be a really complicated setup. When you talk about any site that's doing significant testing like mm. that, this is a set of web servers, some application servers, a database, or maybe two. Mm. Like it's a bunch of VMs yeah. you need. Yeah, and it's it's not mm. something I tell you. Know, it's a, a small shop in particular is not just going to you know download it and just start getting it running. There's a lot to RTFM. There's a lot of configuration. Um, you have to get the domain running right. You have to, the DNS is a big thing that has to be working right. Mm-hmm. AD should be working right. System center working right because you can use that to build your base templates. Mm-hmm. Now, once you get that done, once the base work, once the infrastructure is defined though, you go over to the lab management front end in, in test manager and it's a nice WPF app. Just you pick a few things, you run some wizards. You okay. Can, you can basically, you know, get the templates. So what you're going to do is create golden masters where you have an OS that's been sysprepped. Maybe they laid down Visual Studio. You've configured some base stuff, and they're all in this library. And you go to the library and say, I want these type of VMs. Create an environment together with them. Hmm. Uh, this one's a domain controller. Da, da, da. I need network isolation because I'm going to bring up a, a, a domain inside my own domain. So mm-hmm. you know, fence it off and protect it. And that's not so bad. Mm. But yes, the, there is, the overhead to get it set up is not, is not trivial. But you're literally talking about standing, it's not, I, I underestimate what you were just describing. I was talking about standing up the app. You're talking about standing up an entire environment for that app to run in. Oh yeah, you can. You can do it. You can do, you can do a single machine or I can do 10 VMs. But you're talking mm-hmm. like a domain controller, DHCP, mm-hmm. DNS, like all of the network services, all that stuff have to exist. I could. Like, you know, I could if I need it. Yeah. To, in order to have a completely isolated environment for doing that testing. Oh, yeah. yeah. If mm-hmm. you're going to do completely isolated, if you want to simulate a pure environment, you're going to have to bring up a domain controller and its supporting services mm-hmm. in that virtual environment. But then you can add as many machines as you want. What happens with, what do you use for data in that scenario? You, you have to fabricate everything? Is it? tooling help you with it? Well, you have, you know, the data dude has a data generator. Yeah. Um, uh, Redgate has a, an even better one, I think, that's mm-hmm. available from them, uh, where you want a little more control. Or um, people take the data from production and do some hand sanitization, which is, you know, you got to be careful with. Um, you know, I've done it twice lately. We did some for the Fabricam, for Fabricam demo for Azure, and then we did some for Blue Yonder. And what I did was I took some of the base data from AdventureWorks, hmm. and then I wrote my own programs, because... To be honest, you really have to write a little bit of code generation yourself. Right, to generate the to data get decent, To get decent-looking data, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so was, what, you do. what was that program uh, we interviewed somebody about um, uh, that generated data at, at a class level? Uh, I can't remember. I'm going to look remember. it up. That's a good question. 
it, it's interesting to just, Brian, I have the real sense of just how far it is to get to the point of being ready to run your first set of tests. And we haven't even talked about building the tests. Yeah, mm. no, it's, 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 it definitely is a serious business. I got a customer I've been working with and we've been talking about it since last summer mm-hmm. because they have their current infrastructure, they're running VMware. Right. And, but the dev guys really want Hyper-V and the lab manager stuff, mm-hmm. but they're having disagreements on, you know, how they're going to manage the base images, all the OSs, all the stuff, keeping them patched. And, you know, there is an investment there. Yeah. So it's non-trivial. You're not just going to say, oh, I'm going to do lab today and have it running by tomorrow. Right. And the base images are really about getting the machine exactly in the state where you're ready to install the software on it. Your stuff. Yeah. Your right. stuff that you need to have on there to run your tests, you know, whatever it is. If you write an for Visual Studio, obviously you'd have Visual Studio there. If you're just building a typical app, you may want the .NET framework already installed. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have different levels, right? You, you have some machines that are just Windows. And right. you put down all the, pre, you know, your job is to put down prereqs. Um, you have another level that prereqs so, are there. So, I mean, that's part of it would be actually testing the install process of can we take a base installed, you know, Windows 7 SP1 machine and get the app up and running. Absolutely. Like that's part of your the testing process. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can, it depends on the type of app you're writing, mm-hmm. right? On the other hand, if you're doing typical in-house data center apps, you can have a high expectation the data center has a baseline configuration. Yeah. So the thing is then how do you get your configuration from the data center into your virtual lab? So one thing you have is system center has physical to virtual migration tools where you can capture existing machines, virtual or real, mm. And convert them into virtual machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like that. Yeah, and so <laughs> P to V is magic. Yeah, it is magic. There's some magic there. And so then the cool thing with that, you throw on network fencing, and you can, when properly done with proper hardware and software, you right. can duplicate your physical environment. Into Tell me a what that environment. is. Network fencing. Network fencing is the ability for the lab to create a bridge between your real network and this virtual network. And basically, offenses around the virtual network. So, for example, you know, the problem with DHCP is like, it's chatty. It says, hey, I'm the DHCP server. Who wants an address? Right. You bring up two of them, they start fighting, and people get confused, and everything's upset. We've been in hotels where that's happened. Yeah, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is, Jeez. the lab management creates a set of private IPs that they manage. They basically create two NICs, mm-hmm. um, and then they, they set it up so that they can map traffic in, and then they give different IPs and names on the public ah. ad- address, and then they map the outternal requests if necessary to it. So for most machines, you can actually get through through this routing layer. Domain controls, because of the way they fence them off, you have to go directly through the console. You can only get to them through the console. Yeah, I'm thinking the problem is with fencing is you can't just block it off, then you can't communicate with it yeah. either. No, no, so they do mapping for all the machines. Domain controllers are treated specially. Right. Um, but all the other machines, you have a way to, there's a public name on the outside that they then do the network route and they tr- translate it. So um, I found that white box testing tool, PEX. Oh, PEX. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of PEX, but it does data generation? Yeah, I thought so. Oh, I, I'm I, trying I, to remember. I'm trying to remember. You know, I haven't used it, but I'm trying to remember our conversations with Pelly on that. Yeah, Pelly, he's amazing, man, when he gets yeah. going on PEX. But yeah, it's possible. I don't know if it does. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I totally interrupted your thought process there. Uh, we're talking about network fencing. Just network fencing, yeah. 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 Uh, I, think we, I think we get where network fencing is at. I'm just trying to get the scale that this takes to run and it's about repeatable testing right automating that testing so that you do it every time you know talking speaking about scale i always love to ask the question you know what's the biggest deployment you ever seen working and you know under under the biggest scale well for what for lab sure yeah so i didn't work with it but i was talking to one of the guys in hyderabad from microsoft that they dealt with the customer they wanted to be able to have a thousand virtual machines going wow so it was a big config so the thing is, you know, how much hardware is that? That's a lot of hardware. Yeah, yeah. My, well, so Hyper-V will do the density ratio for Hyper-V. I think it's 
up to 384 VMs on one physical box, assuming appropriate hardware. Unless any of them are running. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> they support, you know. But it's just a lot of VMs. I mean, yeah. I, I'm looking in, in production environments where we have like six. Yeah. But you can, you know, Hyper-V will do up to two terabytes of RAM. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is Azure able to handle all this? So Azure's interesting. Azure has a new VM role, right? but it's not something that Lab supports yet because the Azure guys are just <laughs> putting things together with what works. They're just getting going. Right? Yeah, I'm trying to find, you know, and I've had trouble. I've been digging, but I haven't dug too hard. I need to light something on fire. But the, I've been looking, for, playing with the new VM stuff and uh, trying to find their management interface because it'd be cool if I could then write some code where I could spin up, you know, push up my VMs and then control it mm-hmm. and integrate with Lab because Lab has an API. So you could probably do some interesting stuff and one integrate as cleanly as what they have out of the box. What about Amazon EC2? Amazon EC2 is the same thing. They do have an API. They have some interesting interfaces. But once again, it's it would be roll your own at this point. No yeah. one, I don't know of anybody that's even offering an add-on. But it, I think it, what you're getting at here is this idea of why do I want to own all those servers? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could just this pay sounds by the like hour. a really good cloud application. It is. And there's a company called... Oh, there are a couple of companies doing this. Uh, one in particular in uh, close to our space. Uh, they're not exactly Microsoft. What are they doing? It's called Tap SkyTap. Okay. SkyTap um, is doing that, so you can do stuff in the cloud. So yeah, there are people doing it, and that definitely is. I think Sky uh, Virtual Cloud Labs is the only way small medium companies are really going to get into it. Mm-hmm. Right. The infrastructure that it takes to you don't want to own that stuff. It's it's going to be probably too much, and that's I mean, and that's okay, right? You'll be able to do the things on premise that you want to, and you do things in the cloud that you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So, but Microsoft doesn't have the solution today. You know, you would be at best you'd be able to do stuff putting VMs in Azure, mm. but you would have to write code. And like I said, I haven't seen the APIs out of the Azure stack yet. Now they just did a 1.4 update that I haven't gone through. Yeah, um, that you would need to control the VMs and do things and and uh, um, coordinate. You know, multi-machine snapshots. That's one of the great things that Lab gives you. One of the is the, is the multi-machine snapshotting. You know, yeah. Hyper-V doesn't do that out of the box, so they add that layer on top. Yeah, I guess we sort of walk past that whole thing of once you've got this built and you're able to run tests, this ability to keep snapshots of where what state things are in, so that you can reproduce errors really reliably. Yeah. And it's not that you're even reproducing the error; you're getting to visit the error that was originally created because you have an image. Absolutely, it's you know it's about it's about testers starting with a consistent baseline mm-hmm. of knowing that they have a known good, and then knowing what got added, and then testing and filing bugs against it. And that's tied back to a particular build, which developers say, okay, yeah, that feature's in or in there, that fixes in there or not, right? Right. I mean, it just eliminates some of the just the the churn that goes on on typical bug review, right? Right. Because now I can look at things and go, yeah, based upon my build logs, this was or was not in that build. Okay, great. Now, okay, I look at the log and, you know, I have two levels. I have the rich actual bug that has all the detail and possibly IntelliTrace. Mm-hmm. And then I have the ability to just jump in there. I can dive into that point in time where the error occurred and really take a look. And that is money. I mean, that's saved time and money. Sure. And, you know, but the infrastructure cost, you talk about it, it is a pain to get some, but once it's up, you're there. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's not that bad. And that's why, Well, this is, this doesn't feel like something you build for the first version of a product or, or, you know, an internal app. It's later on as it matures that you, you have more testing infrastructure because you've got to keep it functioning. Yep. And, uh, you value the fact that this app, you know, needs thorough testing. Yeah. It, it really does help. But, you know, it, it, the ability to 
have these baselines at these different points in times to test different versions, mm-hmm. right? To say, we're going to have a version that is server 2003. And you recognize that, yeah, Microsoft's pushing 2008 R2, but we have customers in 2003. So I have a 2003 yeah. version. I have my Vista versions, God forbid, and I have my Windows 7, <laughs> you know, server 2008 versions. You know, that's something you can do with virtualization that is really hard to do with physical labs. Well, it also feels like if you're going to keep all that stuff, you're able to go back and demonstrate old tests again to compare benchmarks and, and the like. I mean, I've, I've had that fight where they're complaining that the new version is dramatically slower than the old version, and if you haven't kept all the data, you can't actually prove, no, nah, actually it's right about the same speed it always has. Well, and, right. that, and that's one of the benefits of TFS, right, is you have this data warehouse that's collecting data, and if your testers are doing their job, a lot of that data is getting published in the TFS, mm-hmm. and you'll have those reports to go back to and be able to run analysis and say, you know... Really you know how you're tests? progressing. Yeah. So I found some more info while you guys were talking about PECs. Which is a, it's a Microsoft research project. Yep. Mm-hmm. It automatically generates test suites with high code coverage right from the Visual Studio Code Editor. PEX finds interesting input output values of your methods, which you can save as a small test suite with high code coverage. Uh, it's a Visual Studio add-in for testing. Right. So the, I, I'm very from PEX, but it doesn't sound like it does data generation. This right. Yeah, input output value generation. Which is a little bit different. Yeah. So, it, but it but it would be a value. Basically, tool. The, the fit, instead of instead of mocking your objects, you actually it comes up with values that it can right, that it can exactly. send. And it's yeah. it's probably that's a targeted developers because that runs as a Visual Studio. Yes, added, that's right. As opposed but to but but you can generate test suites, which you can then go back and use as tests and run them. Well, and in in, in Pax's defense, and honestly, I don't remember it. Normally, I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're able to assess, hey, this is an integer. I'll immediately fade it with the largest value can, it can handle and right. the smallest value it can handle and a negative number that would right. normally wouldn't appear. Yeah. Like pretty quickly you build up. Right. Are you properly, you know, gating that, te- that, right. that input? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, you can check that out on pexforfun.com. Pex for fun. Pexforfun.com. So P-E-X. P-E-X, yeah. For It's cool. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So, uh, what else is going on in Brian's world these days? In terms of, I know you got your machines and your 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 TFS stuff. Uh, what's uh, what do you do when you go home at night? Ah, uh, I'm really into graphic design. So, really, I'm, I'm really I've got a fetish. It's a it's a problem I've had since university. I took typography and design. Uh, when I was in university, and it actually got started <laughs> earlier than that. My first, so my first computer job that I got started on was a sysop. Uh, on a BBS? No, HP two thousand. I was going to say that's no, no, what no, mine no. was too. Yeah, except no, no. <laughs> the bulletin board running in a little PC under my bed. No, yeah. I got started on big, big iron. I got started on an HP two thousand. Uh, but I owned one briefly. Oh, you did. Well, the thing we had, we had the dishwasher size hard drives. Of course, you did. Yeah. Yeah, so Goliath. Goliath drives. Yeah, exactly. So we, we actually got an HP 2000 out of a company that was being shut down. And it was very much like, if you can get it out of here, you can have it. Yeah. And so it was like every pickup truck we knew, because they're huge. They're huge. We filled a garage with it. 
We turned it on exactly once. I think it ate like $200 worth of power in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we turned it back off oh, again because yeah. it doesn't do much. No, it's, they're, they're monsters. I mean, they're great machines. And you turn them into a refrigerator. Exactly. Well, <laughs> hell, this, I, I worked in a refrigerator because I worked in the cool room. I had you know, the raised floor, the whole, yeah. the whole thing, big, you know, 6250 BPI tapes. Nice. Um, but the, that's what got me to PCs was is the, the owner of the company at the time would lease time on the weekends. Mm. Uh, to these other guys, and he had this uh, this guy leased some time, and then he owed my boss money and said, "How about this? I'm doing some stuff with PCs. I'll build you a PC, blah blah blah. And it will it'll call it even." Mm-hmm. Uh, so of course he was you know playing the margins there, but he gave us our first PC, and it was a PC AT, okay, mm-hmm. clone, mm-hmm. and it came. What he gave us, um, or part of the deal was an HP LaserJet Series Two, the first one of those. Wow. And an HP ScanJet four bit scanner. Oh my God. So this thing got set up. And I would work at night. I worked four hours Monday through Thursday and then eight hours on Sunday. You know, I was since high school. Mm. And, but I'd come in a couple times a month because we were a data processing company. We would print out green bar reports and bag and tag them and ship them in the mail to people, right? Wow. This is crazy, right? This yeah. is, you know, it's, and it's not that long ago. I'm not that old, right? <laughs> and so when the PCI came one day and I say, Hey, what's this? And they go, Oh, we got this computer, blah, blah, blah. And I go, Okay. And they go, yeah, feel free to, you know, have a look and do whatever. You know, don't break it, but, you know, mm-hmm. do whatever. So at night, I started playing with it. So then, a couple weeks later, I come in, do the reports again, and I see the owner of the company, his wife, who's also one of the owners, and this other um, uh, salesperson, they're working on uh, an RFP. They're working on this proposal. Mm-hmm. And they're using the first version of PageMaker uh-huh. on a runtime version of Windows, Windows wow. you know, 2X. Wow. And, I, you know, I'd been playing with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Play with desktop publishing. And so I go... Well, hey, what are you trying to do? And they go, oh, we're trying to do this. Do you know? I go, yeah, you just click here, do that. See, there you go. And I start walking away. I was like, here, get back here. I go, well, I go, Barb said it was okay. I go, no, 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 sit down. And so then my supervisor comes over and goes, what are you doing? She goes, I got, I need reports done. She goes, goes, grab Harvey, one of the programmers. Go make him go do it. And they're like, what? And they go, yeah, Brian's helping us do this. So I, Next couple of months, I became the PC specialist. So I learned how to tear down machines. That's how I got my mm. hardware fetish. Right. Yeah, yeah. Started building my own machines. And then, you know, I did a lot with PageMaker. So I started, I actually did docs. I wrote manuals. I did stuff. Mm. So I got into that. I had the scanner and all that stuff. Then I got into programming. Of course, I learned RPG, Cobalt, and that stuff. Well, yeah. fast forward. When I went on my own, I started making real money and stuff. And it's like, well, I like this graphic stuff. So yeah. Kai's Power Tools, which I don't know if you guys remember in the early, mm-hmm. uh, I remember. Uh, early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, before they got bought by Metacritics, got totally hosed over, wrote some of the coolest plugins for Photoshop. And so I was like, oh, this is awesome. But, you know, I'm a geek, right? I make money as a, as a business professional doing programming and mm. stuff like I love graphics, but I'm not trained, mm. and so I can't make a living at it. Mm. So it's just always been a fetish. So I have the entire Adobe Creative Suite, right? <laughs> yeah. So with Microsoft getting into Blend and stuff, and we have a graphic designer who we use, I just finally said, I'm going to spend a little more time. So that's where I've been actually right. playing around. I'm doing a talk at TechEd in Atlanta mm. on... Um, expression blend yeah. for developers. Wow. So wow. I'm going to try to convince developers it's not, it doesn't have to be that bad. Now, granted, you really do want someone who's a little twisted brain different from you who's a designer if you're going to do serious stuff. Right. But it doesn't mean your stuff has to look but ugly. Right? Yeah. That's the thing. You can do a lot. And there's some cool templates and things that Microsoft's providing. And there's others. There's so much goodness on the web from designers, people who are wanting right. to help you if you're right. willing to look. Right. And not put 20 fonts together on one page. Right. You can do some compelling stuff with just a little training, just a little color theory. I'm always, I'm always just blown away by people that can make things that look real from, you know, from pixels. Yeah. And they, they're not using pictures, but they're, they're actually making, you know, like, like Huckabee's, uh, company, Internology mm-hmm. made, uh, this 
thing in Blend that was like a, a rotary phone dial that you could actually dial. And it looked like an old bronze yeah. dial with a paper back. You know, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it's like it, how they do that stuff is beyond me. The graphic world, especially today, because we've got this 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 world where we're mixing pixels, so raster images mm. with mathematically created vector images, mm. right? And, mm. and that line is just blurred. In fact, that's what's you know, Microsoft's tool doesn't get enough credit. The acrylic tool. Sorry, um, what's it called? Um, expression design. Right. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of name. You know, it has it has some really cool stuff. It's just you know, you know the problem with, with Photoshop out mm. there with the Adobe tools. It's just hard you know, for good designers to even consider it. Right, right. But that's a good thing to just play with. It's not if you have a subscription, it's not costing anything. Right. But yeah, if you're gonna get serious, you need Illustrator, Photoshop, and and, and of course you stuff. you might even be able to find some good uh, classes at your local community college. You know, from people who are really talented. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's lots of good stuff out there. If you're willing to spend time, and there's on the websites, uh, even one of them, LifeHacker.com. Lifehacker? Lifehacker.com. A live hacker. Life, life hacker. Life. Life. Lifehacker.com. Okay, sorry. Um, has, is did a, did a series on Photoshop, you know, learning Photoshop at night, and they're doing one right now on video editing at night. And hmm. it's great. I mean, it's just, these are things that appeal to the web. And of course, there's books, there's magazines, there's courses, uh, there are various online training. There's all sorts of things you can get. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's probably one of my big fetishes. And have you seen any online blend? training like from an artistic point of view no but i haven't looked recently i know when it was when blend force coming out uh linda i think it's linda online has some blend stuff the blend team has put some stuff out but it's more mechanical yeah stuff. more mechanical and there's there's two things that, right you have to decide right brain versus left brain right am i trying to sure. just because i want my business apps to look better or do i want to get really creative and do some of the really amazing yeah that's stuff? the stuff i'm interested in i mean i can figure out how to use a program you know but it, what to do? It's more yeah. more important. The new to me. new visualizations, new ways of presenting data. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, like, I'm really, I'm, and, and that's and then that's the long term. You and I've talked about this. I'm working on some other projects, but one of the big things to me is finding ways to really present data differently. Mm -hmm. So, been looking at how do you you do, for example, temporal presentations of data. Right? If I got data mm -hmm. based upon some temporal time set dates. How do I present that in a different way besides the traditional grids and some of that format? So, mm -hmm. and how do I distill largely? You know, Microsoft has done some cool stuff with some of their pivot controls and stuff like that. And yeah, I was kind of looking at, at that stuff and so looking I was at, bring up pivot. if you think about Gantt charts and timelines, how do you do that? But do it in an interesting visual way mm. and then provide a natural user experience on top of it, right? That's the thing. So in fact, Huckabee and I have been talking because he's doing a talk. So he's kind of the lead end of why that I'm more mechanics in my talk. Yeah. But that's the thing, you know, I really I find interesting. It's the thing I'd like to spend more time with. I'm really into user experience. So yeah. very Tusty esque, actually. Yes. Oh, he's a big I love his books. I want to go see him live. The problem is every time he comes to LA, I'm gone. It's like right. damn. I'm gonna have to literally just probably watch and find a day that I'm free and I'm just gonna jump on the plane and go do it. Um, and do it live because I think it'd be really interesting to hear present. Well, just to see the way he thinks through some it's, of those really yeah. interesting visualizations. Like, how do you get there? And I've been reading a lot of books. Um, O'Reilly's got some great books. They got two: uh, "Beautiful Data" and "Beautiful uh, Visualization." Mm -hmm. um, I might be getting the name wrong, but just they're they're, they're really interesting books. And it just you know, it talks about the Tufty really, books. No, 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 no. These are from O'Reilly. So the Tufty okay. books are great. Yeah, but these are from O'Reilly. They're, they're written by multiple people. They're series books with multiple people providing interesting ideas of how they dump large data sets, which is one of the beautiful data. Mm -hmm. And another is beautiful visualization. How do we present information and how do we digest? Because that's the problem. We're overwhelmed with information. Right. I don't. I want to be able to have a large set, but then give me the set that I care about, right? It's like Tiva right. with my pl plus. And you want to be up. able to narrow down into that easily without having to go through a bunch of radio controls and dials and natural. Just yeah, just you know, natural. Help me find what I want quickly and easily. Yeah. 
You know, and, and finding what people search. That's why search is so good, right? Because right. I don't have to put a lot of effort into the categorization and storage structure. But that's the problem with any type of taxonomy you create with your, your data, right? When you're thinking about the way you organize your folders, right? Mm. People don't like that. That's why they like search, because I don't have to care what folder I saved it in, as long as the search right. is fast enough to find it for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I live by email, right? I and mean, I have a Gmail account. And pretty much the search on my email is my index into the world. Yeah, you lose your email, that's where you lose your life, right? Yeah, because pretty you just, much. <laughs> everything's in there. And the worst part is, you know, if, you, if you're not sure of, the, of, the, of when your old email, deleted email, gets really, really deleted, yeah, you should be careful about that. Yeah, uh, I, there, I, were, there were times where I was counting on deleted email being searchable, and it was not. Oh, so I've got every PST... So I've got all my email from yeah, the too. last two companies I worked at me too. back to when I went out in 1995 when I first got my MSN account, right? Yeah. Brian underscore Randall at MSN.com I've had since they launched the service. <laughs> uh, I even have my, my Expedia. I won't say that out loud, but my Expedia account is one that is just my first like part of my name. Yeah. Right. But something that you can't get hardly any assistance because I've had that that long, right? Yeah. I can log in that way. I don't even have to use my live account. But yeah, that's it. So yeah, TechEd. So you know that'll be my first foray to see if I can really come up with a good, compelling story that takes my passion for this. But when I go to my people and say, developers, this you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a black turtleneck, but you can do good stuff. Well, because you right. you tend to talk about really technical topics, like de- drilling deeply into how TFS works and using virtualization, lab manager. Like, I'm surprised, Brian. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been hanging around with you for years. Had a, no idea. Well, it's, I've only finally got an opportunity to show it, right? right. Otherwise, it's just been something I do in, in my office, and the, the lights are down, and the kids are asleep. <laughs> Have you personally gone in, into customers and done setups for TFS on uh, Hyper-V and and, yes. and and done that kind of work? Yes, I've done that. I did. Uh, went to Alaska. Actually, Alaska. They, had, they. Had, I did the original install, then they upgraded, and then they needed help with builds. So I customized their build. Um, I have two customers I'm working with in San Diego. I did their 2008 install for one, and I did uh, 2010 for another. Um, Can you tell me about any um, anything that was in their architectural setup that got in the way? Like any anything <laughs> that uh, you may have be able to share? In terms yeah, well, of- one one in particular. So one was a, a 2008 one. And the problem is they have a central data, uh, database group that manages the database. And because SQL Server is needed for TFS, mm-hmm. yeah. we had to, they had to use one of their managed instances. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I told them about not having messing with my, the, the schema in TFS, they ignored me. So when we first tried to install, we couldn't do it because something was blocked. So we finally got permissions to go to the stuff. I got it installed. I go, I'm gone. Something was blocked, you said? It was, you couldn't yeah, they, access they, the Yeah, they, they gave us the permissions we asked for. Oh. I told them what permission I wanted, they'd still give it to me. Oh, right. you don't need those. I do. Right. It won't install. Trust me. All right. So finally got it installed. Get a call. Later. Yeah, we're having trouble with work items. And it was really weird because it was, it was this temporal issue, right? Mm-hmm. So I get, you know, I, I talk to them and do some stuff and I go, I go, someone's done something to the SQL server. I know it. They have changed some of the security. They've done something. Well, sure enough, you know what they've done? They had re-enabled it for their management and backup. They had some internal homegrown stuff that installed custom triggers and stuff into the databases. Oh my god! <laughs> into your database? In the, in the TFS. Yeah. Come on. And I'm like, well, you know what I said? Yeah. Uh, and I just <laughs> so luckily, they, luckily their stuff is. It, it, I have to give them credit though. At least they, they can very easily just say unmanaged, and their stuff jumps out of the way, and it, TFS went back to normal. But probably just a, a logging infrastructure. They're the causing locking and log contention. So TFS was like trying to do stuff. I'm like, I can't. I'm blocked. I'm blocked. And so it's like a guy would run a query to just a workout query. He's like, 
It's not coming back, but I have permissions. So and then you do it again, and it would work. It was just, and oh, that was the experience errors. Yeah. So that was probably the that's one of the worst things I've dealt with recently. I've been lucky because in the couple of the t- t- 2010 installations, I've got to do clean installs for them. Yeah. I've told them what to have. We do yeah. it. And mostly it's been security or yeah. Uh, you know, getting things set up in accounts. But now, do you have to be an IT whiz to be able to do this kind of setup? Just, you, just TFS? Yeah. No, no. TFS 2010s put me out of a lot of work because it's that much easier. Yeah. Right. You, and you can install on Windows 7 now. You can install. It wasn't it. always the case, though. I mean, no, no, no. I did a lot. I did a lot of work on 2008. Yeah. TFS helped. It paid for my fetish. Yes, sir. It paid for your child's education. So 2010, you're thinking, you know, any developer who's installed an app on a server. Well, let me be clear. Let me be clear. This is the thing because I'm actually ready to offer a service. I've been looking at doing some of the SQL skills to provide a package for people to check their install environments. Okay. Because it is a typical thing, though. If you do the out-of-box experience, it'll work. Mm-hmm. But is it something but. that's going to be in production six months from now working correctly? Right. Um, do you have your disaster recovery set up correctly? Do you have your tuning set up correctly? Because the databases will get set up to auto-grow full logs. People don't set up their backups. Their logs start growing, so you have a log that's ten times the size of your data. Right. So there's a lot of things that go into to carrying and feeding for a proper TFS installation. But as yeah. far as install, if you are TFM, you just read, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of this folks you know, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, they That's, don't. They just, the wizard will guide me. The wizard will guide me. So, so much of consulting is is going reading their manuals and their documents, and then finding out where they are not adhering to their own standards. Yeah. Those know? two, yeah, those two go together hand in hand. So yeah, Carl, you know, doing. I don't have to do as much, but the thing is, people realize. You know, people. A lot of people. I've come in. They've. In fact, I had one who did it, and he goes, "Yeah." I realized once I did, I think I had it working, but I knew, cause that's what they want to do, whether you want to integrate SharePoint, that yeah. gets more complicated. Yeah, yeah. And then, or if you want to do lab. And, right? the, and the mistakes compound on each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, One and then the, the other thing though is people mess with stuff. I had a customer, the thing was running fine, and they, unfortunately this person, uh, they did have to get rid of, um, but he screwed up their Excel dashboards and SharePoint, so I had to go in and fix it, and they were messing with stuff. So hmm. I, had to fix the, I had to fix the data source properties, and they had changed some of the passwords, and so we had to get all the passwords back and sync. Password management probably is the biggest thing you got to watch out for in a yeah. full TFS installation, because there's all these service accounts. And then TFS, if you want it to be an enterprise version, is going to talk to SharePoint, can talk to Project Server. And there's all these accounts that can be imagined, and a lot of enterprises have password policies, and they, they all vary, they're, they're all over the place. And so, and like you said, they don't follow their own yeah, things, or the right. guy doesn't know. And this is the problem too: is TFS really needs to be cared, fed for, like it's a production server because it is a production server, folks. Mm, right. And it's in the production of you need to code. talk to the yeah you need to talk to the IT pros who run your data center. The problem is that devs and IT pros don't always have a great relationship. Right. And therefore, mm. they don't and, always do things right. But it is interesting to think in terms of the devs are pa- are asking IT for a service for them to do development. Yeah. And, and that's just going to become more apparent as we get into this whole virtualized lab manager idea where it's IT pros that are going to set up that lab infrastructure for you. And you got to communicate. There's a right. lot of work that's right. there. you got to share brownies, have some, have some fudge, and, and really get yeah. this to work to, together. Pizza. It's about pizza. I think pizza. probably, you know, as a social tip, it's really good to bond on, on PC, like old PC experience. Yeah. You know, you sit down at lunch and you say... You know, you know. Well, hey, man, what was your first PC? Or you yeah. start talking about these develop, de- common de- things. Communicate, develop that, communicate. have that conversation. Be a, have a human experience, Carl. Right. You said it right there. Right. Yep. It's like what we do. Break bread with them. They're right. not that scary. They're no. really, you know, they're they're in the computers too, just like you. That's yeah. right. They just have a different view and, and, and appreciate the differences. Don't diss the difference. Well, I think that's the bigger thing that, and it's the booby trap we fall into. Their job's hard too. It's it a is. different job. Oh, yeah. It's different also job. hard. Yeah, they're responsible for things. Things aren't running. They get yelled at. Mm-hmm. You know right. and. 
So it'd be, if you can both empathize with each yeah. other's job, it, with TFS, it, it, lab, you, know, you it's need in, to. It's interesting. You just, uh, something came up. They're also debugging, but yeah. unlike you, they're not debugging something they wrote. Yeah. yeah. They're debugging something somebody else wrote. Exactly. You know? And so they can't see into. Yeah, you've got to appreciate yeah, it's that. lots of black boxes going, I swear the boxes are aligned this way, but they're not right. working. I've yeah. tried twisting it, but it doesn't want right. to twist. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that's why it's interesting because I'm kind of this this hybrid guy. Right. Know, I like I like the IT pro side. I like building with Hyper V, but I love writing code. So that's why I like the workshop I'm doing here tomorrow. I'm also doing it at TechEd. We're going to do it again to the. the big I've show. always done all my own IT, and you know, the, it, fortunately, it's been a small scale. You know, I haven't had to deal with the kind of stuff like like even Richard has dealt with in yeah. his server closet. You know, <laughs> but still, it's uh. It's fun, but you know, it's kind of the last thing you want to think about when you're a developer. It's like a different part of your brain. Yeah. Well, and there's a key point, and that's why with TFS, the interesting thing is the announcement that they made at PDC, which is TFS in the cloud. For a lot of small, medium companies, that's going to be a good solution, especially yeah. distributed companies, you know, distributed teams. I'm looking to it because I got a bunch of guys. I got guys in London, got guys in Florida, got, got you know, guys in right. Washington State, and we're doing work together. Right. And right now they're having to hit my server in LA, which is fine for our size, but it's, I, just, I don't want to be responsible for it from a, if something bad happens and I'm on the road, you're now, on the want, you're on the, the road going in. Well, and and everybody's down. Yeah. Like nobody can get any work done. Yeah. Yeah. When you get into that distributed situation, you, now you're responsible for a, a robust networking infrastructure, not even just the server. I just started messing around with discountASP.net's TFS in the cloud. Oh, really? And that, yeah, and that's working really well. Interesting. Yeah, there's. A, I've been looking at uh, software as a server. Uh, I think it's softwareasaservice.com or whatever. They, mm -hmm. they have a long mm -hmm. name. But it's one of the TFS MVPs started going. And, you know, I was trying out his, too. And it's, um, it's really nice. The nice thing, I mean, I really like the third-party hosters. That's right. Yeah. You should look at them right now. Yep. Um, the reason I'm looking at the Microsoft is mostly is because I know they're going to have some new stuff. And so it's the geek in me wants the new shit. Right, stuff. right, right. Um, but, yeah, Discount ASP and some of the other hosters are offering some great solutions for the small, medium companies you should look at. Yep. You don't get, that, you get your backups, get all sorts of great. You don't stuff have to stand up the servers anymore. Like all that goes away. I, but we're not in the point yet where nobody's offering Lab Manager yet. No, no, no. That'll be interesting. No, yeah, it's 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 an animal. But it's so really it's, brand new. Yeah, it is. Well, it only RTM'd officially uh, August of last year. Mm -hmm. So we're we're hitting six months now. So when reti you retire, is it going to be RandallGraphics.com? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, so it's, it could it's, be like your you know your retirement project. You know, it's something I just look to play with more. It's really looking into, you know, helping people with stuff. I'd like to do, yeah, I definitely yeah. would like to do more in that space. I wouldn't mind making a little, making a living doing that because I, I like the creative side. Yeah. The problem is I'm, I love talking to people, so I can right. still see education as some part of it, whether it's training videos or something. Right, right. Sure. Somewhere I don't have to scare people too much. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. It's been a, uh, fun geeking out with you for an hour. It's always good, guys. I love talking to you. All right, guys, and we'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnet.com.
R-O-C-K-S dot com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.